Welcome to the prolific teaching ministry of Pastor Emmanuel Iren, lead pastor of Celebration Church International. It is his vision to partner with you for your progress and joy in the faith. Ready, set, grow. Jesus, mighty name, we have prayed. Amen. Listen, so we are continuing our study on the believers love walk i'm going to talk with you for 40 minutes and then we're going to be done um but this is important all right this is important and this is spiritual growth you see i said something in passing last week but it's very important um i said i, I promised to do an in-depth teaching the concept of the hardness of the heart um how does it work how does it the bible says in romans chapter 1 um, I think verse 21, it says, as they did not retain God in their consciousness, he gave them up to a reprobate mind, all right, to do things which are not convenient. And how does that work? You see, every time you have the opportunity to flow in the direction of God's word and you choose otherwise, every time you know what to do and you don't do it, the Bible says to him it is sin, all right, and the more you continue to sin willfully in this context, all right, the more hardened, all right, and indisposed you are to doing what you should do. The more you expose yourself to rebellion, the less likely you are to embrace the truth. And so this is very important. Never find yourself as a Christian hearing a teaching on love and being ever learning and never able to come to the point of truth. Because there is such a way that you can be so disposed to culture. There is already a way that you are used to replying people when you are driving. You know, and, and they do some certain things and say some certain things. Um, we even sing about it. Silly songs. I, I must say respectfully, there's, there's a guy, Tobe who happens to be one of my favorite um, rappers. But there's a particular song that I just don't understand. And it says, um, try Jesus, but don't try me because I throw hands. You see, so we have found a way to have a theology that accommodates our rebellion. You know, where we say, try Jesus, don't try me. You know, we have excused our anger issues. I throw hands, Jesus might not throw hands. And then the song even said, um, he said, turn the other cheek, but that's one part of the Bible that doesn't sit right with me. And some of you might even see such, such a song and say, oh, that's wrong. You shouldn't say that. You shouldn't sing that. But can I tell you something? Maybe psychologically, uh, that's your confession. That's your disposition anyway. Because when it comes to the practical aspect of the love work, and admittedly, it's very difficult sometimes. It could be very difficult because some people just have the anointing to bring out, <laughs> to resurrect the old man that is already crucified, you know, and all of that. But we must put our body under and be ready to act on God's word. Uh, all right. So if you've been hearing teachings on love walk and you still haven't practiced, this is something that you must realize. Um, there is something called, or something I call the code of corporate worship. Meaning we are not to gather and to worship the way we choose to. There is a way 
that God has ordained for worship to be done. There is how to worship. There is um, a code of conduct for public gatherings. And so the Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 14, which has been called many names, the apostolic benediction, you know, the Trinitarian verse or whatever it is you call it, you know, 2 Corinthians 13, verse 14, one of the most popular verses in the entire Bible. Many people don't know the reference, but they at least know the verse. It says, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. I take that again. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. And this is such an important prayer. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. So how can grace be with us? The people he's talking to had already received the message of grace. The message of um, the redemptive sacrifice of Christ. They're born again. And he says, let that message be with you. So how can it be with you? How can the love of God, is the love of God a thing that you just put in your service, maybe like a symbol? How can it be with you? How can the benevolence of God be with us? He's talking about the consciousness of it. I know you know it. I know you, you subscribe to it. You've made a profession of it. He says, but let the consciousness of it be evident every time you gather. The consciousness of the love. The consciousness of the grace. So that's going to be evident in the way we treat one another. In the way we receive one another. In the warmth of our fellowship. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. The love of God. And the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. Let me say this. We've emphasized fellowship of the Holy Spirit on a personal level. You know, that's your personal communion with the Holy Spirit. There are many books on it. Good morning, Holy Spirit. And you know, catchy titles. Uh, just the consciousness to be able to say good morning to the Holy Spirit when you wake up. And that's powerful. But now he's talking about on a corporate level. How can we experience the communion of the Holy Spirit on a corporate level? So, it is one thing to have the Holy Spirit as a friend, as a comforter, as a confidant. But it's another thing for us to see each other and be aware that we have a mutual friend in God. And he says, it is that kind of consciousness that makes our gathering special. The consciousness of koinonia, the consciousness that we have something in common, or more specifically, someone in common. It says, let that consciousness be with you. The consciousness of the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, which we have in common, let it be with you. And this is so powerful. This is such a prayer to make, such a declaration, such a confession to make. You see, the Spirit fosters togetherness. That's what He does. The Spirit never fosters isolation. He always fosters unity. So, um, spiritual identification and what, what do we mean by that? The fact that I identify with the redemptive work of Christ. His death is my death. His burial is my burial. His resurrection is my resurrection. So spiritual identification pushes us to want to identify with others. So there is just something about us. You see, 
We know this on a national level. If you find yourself in the UK or in the US, um, and then you're just walking on the road, and all of a sudden you hear someone speaking your native dialect, maybe Yoruba or Igbo, there is something about that that draws you to the person to make you want to say, hey, where are you from? It looks like you're Nigerian. We're from the same country, all right? Especially in a foreign land. And we must have that kind of identification spiritually that when we see someone who is born again from our kingdom, who is also translated from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of his dear son, when we see someone speaking our language, our spiritual lingua, there must be something that draws us and endears us to the person. And that's the communion of the Holy Spirit. Listen, and this is very important. You can have communion of the Holy Spirit with someone you don't know socially. Let me give you an example. If you were in a public place and someone began to manifest a demon spirit, you and another person can rise up, even if you were meeting for the first time. But you see, um, issues, circumstances like that reveal identity. So the person, you know, begins to pray. And then you begin to pray also. Guess what? Both of you can unite to enforce the will of God over that person's life. Now, that's communion. If you gather together to pray for someone who is gasping for breath, even though you don't know that person socially, now that's the communion of the Holy Spirit. All right? And you, you can have communion, spiritual communion with someone you don't even know socially. And this is so important. Very important in our kingdom. All right? Not only is it important, it's something to protect. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 4 verse 3, I hope we are opening as fast as you can. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 3, it says, Endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Oh, this is so powerful. He talks about the union of the Spirit, the unity of the Spirit, our unity in the Spirit, our communion in the Spirit. He says, keep it. That's what he says should be with you. Our fellowship in the Spirit, our unity in the Spirit, keep it with a bond. So there, 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 is, there is a spiritual adhesive that makes us hold together, that makes things hold together, all right? And in this context, it talks about peace. But there is another one that I want to talk to you about right now. And it's love. Look, at, turn your Bibles, Colossians, Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3, verse 14. Colossians chapter 3, verse 14. This is so important. It says, but above all these things... Put on love. I'm going to still talk on this text later. It says, put on love, which is the bond of perfection, the adhesive of perfection. All right? So this is one important thing that makes every other thing hold together. That makes us as individual lovers of Jesus hold together as one unit called the body of Christ. That makes all our individual devotional favor to make sense as one unit that God identifies and recognizes. This is so important. 
It talks about the bond of perfection. Meaning, if this adhesive is not in place, every other thing is not perfect. You can't be perfect without love. This is God's code of corporate worship. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and then the communion of the Holy Spirit. He says, let that be with you. You know, when we think of communion, we think of bread and wine many times. Um, this popular church culture, uh, bread and wine, doing that in the rem remembrance of Jesus. You know, and the first time you had any semblance of that was in Exodus chapter 12. Exodus chapter 12, um, what was happening there was after the several initial plagues that had happened, as God's attempt to deliver the children of Israel from Egypt, there was going to be one final one where all the firstborns of Egypt were going to be slain. And how was Israel going to distinguish themselves in Goshen? How are they going to do that? God told them, get a lamb, slaughter that lamb, put the blood on your lintel. And he says, when I see the blood, I will pass over you. All right? When I see the blood, and in case you don't already know, that blood was a metaphor prefiguring the redemptive work of Christ. All right? So that house that they were in, they were to stay put inside, uh, is symbolic of salvation. All right? And then the blood is just that, that the blood on the lintel is our access point. Christ Jesus has given us access into salvation, the safety therein. All right? And now, this is very important. In salvation, there is communion. In salvation, there is communion. I mean, there is danger going to happen outside. If you just said, put the blood on your lintel, that should suffice. But he didn't just say that. He says, put the blood on your lintel. And he was also particular about what they do inside. So he, inside, he says, you are going to get unleavened bread. Bread without yeast. Because yeast was also a symbol, was meant to symbolize contamination with the world. So you're going to get unleavened bread. And then you're going to eat that bread. So this is the picture that God is giving the church. In salvation, there is communion. God did not save us for us to, or let me put it this way. God did not save us to isolate us. There is a communion in our kingdom, in the kingdom of light. So with blood on the lintels, there is dining going on inside. So this is very, very important. Am I making this up or how do I know that these are actually symbols? In 1 Corinthians 5, all right, in the New Testament, I've taught, taught you this before, the New Testament is the Old Testament revealed. So there are many types and shadows in the Old Testament that are explained, all right, in the New Testament. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7, it says, Therefore, purge out the old leaven. Guess what? When he talks about old leaven, he was talking about a person. Background of the story. There was someone who was in the church, but was behaving in a manner inconsistent with the Christian. 
All right. He was given to open sin. He was dating his father's concubine. And there was no shame about it. All right. Maybe they were even seen in public places together. Maybe they even came to church once in a while. And Paul says he called such a person unleavened. So now we learn that the on I mean this sorry they called such a person leaven okay old leaven so we now learn that leaven is not actually about yeast you know some people um they miss the symbols of the old testament and they still want to emphasize it as if god is really particular about our diet as if there is a way to eat because you are holy or there's a way to eat to be holy and they miss the point all those things were symbols Unleavened bread was a principle or was a symbol of consecration, separation from the world. And then the leaven, all right, represents sinners, sinful world. And because the communion in Goshen is to be with unleavened bread, it says, cast away the leaven. Anyone that you spot that claims to be a believer but consistently has an attitude that is a contradiction of his claim, he says, move him out of your fellowship. For a reason, he says, a little leaven, leaving at the whole lump. Meaning he's going to corrupt other people. He's going to, um, his, his bad character. The Bible says evil communication corrupts good manners. It's going to rub off on other people. So this is what that communion actually symbolizes you know and a lot of people have been more particular about the eating not knowing that the eating was only a symbol of something stronger a spiritual bond the communion in christ is the communion of the holy Spirit. but many people have focused on the communion of bread but see the bread and the eating is just to show that we have communion in the whole, you know, it's just like many cultures today. If you eat with someone, it is proof that you accept the person. It was just a symbol of identification. I identify with you. I'm eating with you because you are my brother. I am eating with you physically because in the spirit we have communion. That's what that communion represents. So guess what? You can be eating bread all day and drinking wine all day, and that doesn't count as communion before God. You have to understand this. And some people, um, this is the difference between religion and true actual spirituality. Some people are just um, about the religious calisthenics. They miss the point of it all. The point of it all. And that's why, oh my goodness, you know, the Bible tells us that Christ is our Passover. The Bible actually does tell us that. Meaning that Passover that the Egyptians, um, I mean, the children of Israel were celebrating in Egypt, in Goshen, all right, was a symbol of what Christ was going to come and do because Christ is our Passover. And that's why of, at, of all the times in the year, in the calendar of the year, the crucifixion of Christ fell in the time of the Passover. It was a powerful fulfillment of prophecy, a fulfillment that he was the Passover. So at that time, and at the time Jesus was about to be killed, all the homes in Jerusalem were celebrating the Passover. 
But in the Lord's Supper, Jesus um, took away the veil to let them know what the real Passover was. So even though in many Jewish homes in that period, they were celebrating the Passover without knowing what it represented, Jesus took up the bread He told the disciples, this is my body. Oh my goodness. So all this eating you have been doing all this while was to actually symbolize my body. To symbolize my body. One day I'm going to do an in-depth teaching. You have to understand the Jewish and the Judaic rituals. The things that they did. In fact, um, when they would break the bread, they would actually put it in between three cloths and keep it for three days. They would put it in a cloth and keep it for three days. And it was after three days that they would bring it out and eat. All of that was symbolic of the body of Jesus being broken, kept aside for three days, brought back to life. All of that was actually symbolism. So one day we're going to dig deep into the Judaic culture, you know, and all of that, and how all of that was prophetic and pointing to the actual sacrifice. He said, this is my body. Broken for you. This is not just Judaic culture. All of that was just a symbol to talk about what I'm going to do. And so he's saying, my body broken for you is your identification. Now you have koinonia. You have something in common. Because all of you believe in me, it's. Now that's communion. Communion is by faith. Because you believe in Jesus, I believe in Jesus, now we can dine together. Everything we do together, because of the underlying faith we both have in Christ Jesus, is communion. This is so important. So the eating is just a symbol. Everything we do, because of the underlying faith that we all have in Jesus, is communion. And I don't want to go in-depth into this. I'm, uh, we're going to have Manifest Bible course this year by the grace of God. You know, and we're going to do some of this um, teaching. And that's why before the Lord's Supper, you know what Jesus did? He identified who was going to betray him, Judas. Because Judas, by the definition of com communion, all right, was not to partake of that eating. And so he identified, he said, one of you will betray me. And then Judas left. He said, what you do, do quickly. It was after Judas left, he took up the bread and said, this is my body. So this is, this is, an identif this is just a teaching on Christian identification. And that's why he said in 1 Corinthians 5 that we are reading, I wish I could read the whole text to you, but I said I'm going to teach for just um, 40 minutes. He said, anyone who claims to be a believer. Verse 11. But now I've written unto you not to keep company. If any man that is called a brother be a fornicator, covetous, idolater, or a railer, or a drunkard, or an extortioner, with such a one, do not eat. Do you understand? So the eating was to symbolize your acceptance of the person of his faith, you know, of his conduct and everything. So that the eating was just a symbol of something deeper. This is what we need to understand. All right. So, what is the point of all I'm saying? I want to read one more text to you. In 1 Corinthians 11, 
The Bible says that the church at Corinth, they were eating what is called, what people call the Lord's Supper or the communion. They were eating it, but Paul said they were not, they were not communing. And which is what I'm saying. Because they missed the essence of it. The fact that you are eating the bread and drinking wine does not mean you are communing. If you miss the essence, you have missed everything. And so in 1 Corinthians um, 11, verse 20, it says, Therefore, when you come together in one place, it is not to eat the Lord's Supper. I know you said it, that that's why you came. Maybe you even put out a banner on Instagram. We're having communion service on Wednesday. And you thought that's why you all came. But indeed, it was not the Lord's Supper you ate. Even though you ate it, that's not what you ate. That's not what you did. You didn't commune. It says, verse 21, For in eating... Each one takes his own supper ahead of others. And one is hungry, another one is drunk. How can? First and foremost, this tells you that the way the communion is done today is also wrong. Do you understand? A lot of people think the bread must be small, the wine must be small. You know, trust me, you can't get drunk on that small wine. All right? That means some people were eating an enormous amount. It was food more akin to what we call love feasts. So there was a welfare program aspect to it. That's why he said, you are shaming those who don't have. So when you come, you are all about your own hunger. You eat and you think that's communion. Guess what? If you're not walking in love, you're not communing. I'm just saying this because many times we get caught up in the religious calisthenics and miss out of the essence of everything empowers us to function. It's the bond of perfection. It is by love that every other Christian activity makes sense. This is important. You know what? In Matthew chapter 23, verse 23, in Matthew chapter 23, verse 23, Jesus speaking, he says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law. This is what many people need to understand. In terms of Christian devotion, there is an order of priority. Not everything has the same importance. Just the same way when you're writing an exam, not all the questions have the same score. Sometimes you are told question one is compulsory. It carries half of the marks. And see, listen, you can be intelligent, but if you are not strategic, if you don't understand priority, you can still fail. You can be diligent. You could have read for that exam, but because you didn't follow the guidelines, there are guidelines of devotion. Some things are more important than others. Jesus talked about weightier matters. So you can pay tithe of anise and cumins, he says, but if you forget justice and mercy and faith. These are all attributes of love. You're not merciful. You, I mean, you have not missed your tithing ones. You are very faithful in your Christian devotion, very diligent in your prayer, but you, you're so unforgiving. You're not merciful. 
You don't know how to seek justice to rise up for the weak. He says there are weightier matters of the law. And like I said, in Colossians 3.14, he says above all these things, meaning this is an order of priority. Above all these things, put on love. Meaning love is a weightier matter. Above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. You cannot be perfect as a believer without love. If you don't have love, every other devotion does not make sense. It is that centerpiece that makes every other thing hold together. You know, just like a beads or, or, or a, an anklet made of beads, all right? Without that rope at the center, all the beads are going to be all over the place, scattered. Picture love as that, that thread that holds all the other pieces together. That's what makes your prayer make sense. That's what makes your generosity make sense. That's what makes your faith to move mountains make sense. He says, because if you have all these things and you have not love, even if you speak in tongues of men and of angels, even if you have faith to move mountains, even if you bestow your, all your goods to the poor, even if you give your body to be burnt, he says without love, love is the centerpiece. It's just like when James is saying faith without works is dead. There are some things that if they are absent in your devotion, all the other things, they don't, they don't matter to God. And you won't matter. He said you are nothing. You can do everything and be nothing if you miss the most important thing, which is love. It's the essence of it all. This is so important. We must learn this. This is not a joke. Don't forget who you're dealing with. You know, Jesus looked at the disciples. The ones that were with him at Gethsemane. They were trying to stay awake and they were sleeping. And he said, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. You're dealing with a father that can see and separate the original intent of your heart from the actual actions in your life. You know, and now, you know, it's so nice that he was able to see that the disciples wanted to do better than they were doing in the place of prayer, especially in Gethsemane. In this particular context, it favors us. When even if we want to do better, you know, we still find ourselves with moral failures and all of that. But sometimes it works the opposite. Like in the context of 1 Corinthians 13, where you are giving your body to be burned, you are bestowing all your goods, but the motives are wrong. In our kingdom, the end does not justify the means. How what is done is as important as what is done. So if you don't, if you, if what, whatever service you are rendering to God, if you don't garnish it with love, if you don't do it in love, it is nothing. God sees why you give. Have you seen people, when they want to give, you know, they, they, they just like attention. They just like attention. They just, they just want you to know. All right? And of course, you can, you can do that for accountability. You can do it out of the right heart. But some people just, you know, and, and Jesus says to such people, you have your reward. Don't expect any other reward from me. You have your reward. 
because you did it for sure. So when people clap for you, you got what you wanted. So it doesn't count before me. This is so important. And so the Bible tells us in Romans chapter 13, verse 8, it says, Oh, no one anything except to love one another. I want you to take your time, open that text. We're going to read it together. We're going to read it together. So, if you're learning anything, this is one conclusion you must have. That as I um, observe my spiritual devotion, the totality of it, the most obvious aspect of it must be my love. Some of you, the most obvious aspect of your devotion is that you know more than others. Whenever you're talking to people, that's what you want them to know. That you study and they don't. Or that you know Greek, a few Greek words and they don't. But what should be obvious, most obvious about your devotion should be your love. Most obvious about your devotion. This is so important. It says, but above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. Right? I read that. So Romans chapter 13, verse 8, I asked you to open that. It says, Oh, no one anything except to love one another. For he who loves one another has fulfilled the law. Oh, no one anything. You know, I was listening to love. Anyway, I, I wish I could preach a whole sermon on oh, no man, anything. Because some of you, you have this ungodly attitude of borrowing and not paying. It's a wicked thing to do. It's a wicked thing to do. As if it's bad enough that the deadline came and you didn't pay. The person has to call you first to say, ah, bro, where's my money? And some of you, you even become angry. I've said I will pay you now. Why? What do you mean? The Bible says anyone who borrows and does not pay, it says let his cloth be taken from him. They should seize what you have. It's biblical. It's biblical. Have you seen people, do you know it's deception and wickedness? They can promise heaven and earth when they want to borrow the money but when it's time to pay and it's just a selfish attitude because some of those people you see them spending money on other things they don't just prioritize others always putting themselves first it's a wicked thing but god says oh no man anything he says but love if you will be guilty of owing let it be love if there is any debt you still haven't paid, let it be love. You can never finish paying the debt of love. You will always be indebted to the body of Christ. Always. So you will constantly seek to go out of your way for people. Out of your way. Start practicing it. And I just want to give you a few practical ways you can do this. Can I tell you something? I love the way Jesus preached. I, I call it scenario preaching. Because can I tell you something? Let me say this. I've said, can I say something a couple of times? You know, 
many times we just tell people love. And we say that because we think we know, we think they know how to love. And many times you need to put context to these things. That's what we're going to try to do next week. Where the Bible says love is patient. Love is kind. Because you know, you might hear the Bible say walk in love. And you say, okay, I'll walk in love. But you, you, you just don't know how to bring it into practical contexts. You, don't, you have not mastered the application aspect of it. So the Bible begins to break it down. Love is patient. Are you patient? If you're not patient, you're not walking in love. I'm just, I want to talk about three ways, simple ways, simple things that you can improve in your life. Number one, learn to use kind words. Learn to use kind words. And this works in, there is a science to this. Your tone your demeanor. Have you seen people just always constantly so aggressive? You have to, which spirits do you have? Lagos or Holy Spirit? You, you we, need to, we need to discern your identification properly. Learn to use kind words. Learn to give compliments. Listen, you like compliments. How about you learn to give it? Have you seen people, um, because they don't want you to feel, you know, they will withhold compliments. Have you seen people who are so stingy with compliments? So stingy, they, they just, if, if, if they have to give a compliment, they say, well, I tried. Have you seen people who are constantly trying to downplay what others are doing just to commonize it? Learn to be generous with compliments. Practice it. Practice it. You see, our culture is so ungodly that if you walk in love in this way, people will suspect you. Have you ever had an act of kindness and someone looks at you like, tell me, what do you want? What do you really want? And that's how bad things are. But, but learn to, you say, oh, I like your shirt. You speak well. Oh, you sang so well. Learn, learn to give compliments. Learn to speak kindly to people. Speak, especially when you're angry. Especially when you're angry. Start practicing it. Start practicing self-control. All right? As a believer, you can't always speak your mind. You can't. You see, as a believer in Christ, sometimes you withhold your rights just to preserve other people. You withhold your rights. Romans 14. Even though you have liberty in Christ, if it will make another person stumble, it says hold it. So many times, listen to people when there is a quarrel. They are only concerned about right or wrong. I was right, you were wrong. I was right, you were wrong. But as a believer in Christ... You're not only concerned about right or wrong. You're concerned about end game. You're concerned about purpose. Let the cause of Christ continue. So there are privileges that I must withhold, especially when it will make Christ look bad or the body of Christ look bad. 
You see, there are some extreme cases where um, someone is owing you money or there's a financial issue you are having. Sometimes, instead of dragging the person to court, like the Bible gives that example, sometimes go ahead, all right? But, you know, but when it is now pastor versus pastor, church against church, you know, and unbelievers have to oversee that, and then they are seeing your outburst of anger. Paul said it is better to suffer yourself to be defrauded. So sometimes the person is wrong, but listen, you are a soul winner. You have to be an expert. If you think you must teach everybody everything at a particular time, you are not a soul winner. You don't understand soul winning. Sometimes you give people time. Give people time. They will learn with time. Cut them some slack. Give them more time. Be the mature one. This is so important. Kind words. Kind words. Number two. Believe the best. When it comes to people, believe the best. Believe. Listen, it will change. It will bring some balance to your life. So for the first time in your life, believe in someone else besides yourself. Learn to be happy for others. Celebrate their successes from your heart, genuinely. In fact, Paul went so far as to say, prefer others before yourself. So when you're in a team, I know you want to be the one, all right, to be active and all of that. But when you know someone is better for the job than yourself, especially when it comes to the ministry of Christ, let the person do it. This is so important. Let the person do it. Oh, you have, you have the persona for this job. You do it. Oh, you have the talent for this job. You do it. Start practicing that. Start practicing support. Learning to go out of your way for people. Practice that. If you learn to speak kindly about people, if you learn to believe the best in people, listen, you know, there are some people, they have a propensity to believe bad things they hear about people. And I'm not saying you should be an idiot. I'm not saying you should be a fool. That you look at clear evidence and you say no. I'm, I'm not saying that. But some people just have a propensity. Rumor. Despite years of friendship, years of emotional investment, you know, at the slightest rumor, they just embrace it. Why do you have a propensity to believe the worst? Start changing that. Start giving people the benefit of doubt. Oh, he did that. Ah, that's very unlike him. Something must be happening. Maybe let me find out. Start thinking like that. Start talking like that. Now that's love work. That's love work. Oh, yeah, no. In fact, say, ah, no, he can't do such a thing now. I know him. I know her. I'm not saying you should do this for a stranger. <laughs> All right. You know, but just believe the best. Are you a believer in Christ? You ought to know better. You, you ought to do better. I believe he should know what to do. He would do the right thing. Okay? So believe the best. 
And then the final thing I want to talk about, which is also very crucial and important. This is very important. Be generous. I mean financially. Let me tell you something. There are few more profound ways to prove love work than generosity. 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 Practice it. Practice it. Practice it. Let me tell you something. Even from a social perspective, learning this will bet you many favors in life. The Bible says a man's gift makes way for him. A lot of people think the text is talking about talent. And yeah, it applies to talent too. But guess what? Your generosity will make ways for you. Your generosity. So some people have not just mastered the art of sending, send a gift to someone. Send their time to someone. Send money to some, you know. Actually, because of my busy schedule, it takes a lot, you know, for me to enter a shop and start picking. Do you understand? So I look for other means, maybe money, airtime, and all of that. Choose your own. <laughs> Do you understand? But the thoughtfulness goes a long way for people. Just generosity. Generosity. I told you last week, have a generosity budget. One of the most powerful things you can be known for is generosity. It's a powerful thing to be known for. Okay? It's a powerful thing. Start practicing it. Don't wait till you have a lot of money. Practice. Practice. And it always works both ways. It works both ways. All right? Um, let me use church example. A pastor must also learn to be generous. There's a way you can have um, a mentality that gives you the disposition to always be on the receiving end. Practice generosity. Give. All right? Learn to give to people. Um, I don't want to give personal examples. It's, it's, it's irrelevant, you know. Um, but also, even biblically, the Bible says, <laughs> I'm going to teach on this another day. It says, let he who is taught communicate with he that teaches in all good things. Don't wait till you're a millionaire. Start practicing that. There are some people that at least for the past two years, three years, have not failed to send a gift monthly. Some of, some of them is small. You know, I'm talking about 5K, you know, some even 3K and some a lot more. People like... You know, some people make it a monthly. And let me say this. Up until recently, <laughs> I, I don't know why I'm, I'm saying this. For, for a long time, I was able to say, you know what, church, don't pay me this much. Do this much so that we can do more for the gospel. And the only reason I was able to do that is because of some people and their consistency. Some people and their consistency. And guess what? <clears throat> Your giving many times provokes me in my personal generosity. Because that's what, you see, as a believer, that's the kind of response you should have. You shouldn't 
Keep receiving gifts and feel, oh yeah, oh, this is really nice. No, it should provoke you to also do. I was looking at my books and saw how much I've given between December and now. Low-key, silently. Some things might never hear me say. My, my wife and I were privileged to give our first car in December. No noise, no social media. You know, and between December and now, it's, it's amazing. Be known for that. It's an exercise to have. That if you learn to speak kind words to people, all right, learn to believe the best concerning people, and then you practice your generosity, you can say practically that you have grown in your love work. All right, let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you. We are doers of your word and not hearers alone. And so from now, we begin to practice what we've learned. We practice kindness in our words, in our reception. We practice believing the best. In, in many instances, preferring others as your word teaches. And we practice generosity. And we thank you because grace has been released to us to do this even more than ever before. And we thank you for it. In the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening. We are sure that you have been blessed. For inquiries, reach us on our helpline 0809-996-7000. Blessings.